podcast about what to eat, watch, read, and listen to, because life is too short to waste time and money on bad shit. I'm Eric. I'm Jason. And this is our fourth episode. Uh, a brief warning to faithful listeners, I co-host this podcast with Jason Santos, and he curses like an old school sailor. So if you have young kids in the room, you might want to consider using headphones or listening at a later time. Uh, because this is our fourth episode, we're going to do something a little different this week. Every fourth ep- episode, we're going to do a stumpisode, where we each try to bring excellent recommendations for a single category that we think the other person hasn't heard of, seen, eaten, etc. The person who brings the most recommendations the other person hasn't heard of wins. This week, we're going to focus on movies. All right, let's get to it. Jason, first on your list. Let's go. Yeah, so just um, to set up my awesome list, um, I did a... So instead of going into, like, obscure lands to just try and stump the chump, I I thought I would, you know... Because anybody can do that, right? Oh, have you ever eaten the balls of the inside of a... You know, what? No, you haven't. I I have. (laughs) (laughs) Right, you maybe possibly have... um, but I, I picked movies that, um, each of them I picked for, because I think that you would like them, and um, and also that I, I think that you haven't seen, so. Right. I did the same thing. At one point, I thought about um, bringing, um, which I think is actually excellent and super enjoyable, uh, there's a video game movie, which in general, the general rule of thumb is anytime a movie is made from a video game, it's a complete and utter piece of shit. Yeah, for sure, yeah. And they made a short film from uh, the Halo series called Halo 4 Reach uh, Reach Into Dawn, or Reach Unto Dawn. Um, reach, <laughs> sorry, Halo 4 Forward Into Dawn. And, um, <laughs> which, of course... As you, continues. You this. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and it's actually awesome. Really? It's unbelievably good like so good i watched it i was like this is going to be like fan fiction at best you know or <laughs> right, like right, that. right like, totally a very very low expectations and i was uh pretty blown away by and that was i i think a running theme on my list as well is like i went into these movies not quite knowing what to expect and was totally blown away um and uh similar to you i, I tried to represent sort of a Cross genre, cross interest sort of list, but I also wanted things that I I weren't the most obscure things for the sake of obscurity, but things that I knew uh, know am confident that you would enjoy, um, and maybe you've heard of them, maybe you haven't. All we, right, we well, we'll find out. Yeah, well, thank you. That's uh, we're awfully fucking gracious, aren't we? Yeah, <laughs> such, <laughs> such gentlemen. We are. Oh, jeez, how nice of us. All right, now let me get started because I got um. I, I got uh, I got a lot of shit to cover here. So, first one I got is Mandabala, a Brazilian documentary um, translation. Send me a bullet. It uh, 2007. Like I said, Brazilian. I like this one for you because of its. Um, you love documentaries and you love crime. Nope. Have you seen it? I have not seen it. So yes. Score one for boom. <laughs> All right. So. Um, Mandabala is a documentary based on, um, it's about kidnapping in Brazil and the industry that has burgeoned around it. Um, it is, so it's told, it's got this super effective, um, like, simultaneous plot device, so it's a linear, kind of parallel narrative that's happening. 
So everything is sort of happening at the same time. Um, and it just kind of gives you a broad picture of what the kidnapping, it's an industry in Brazil. It's huge, right? Mm-hmm. So this is 2007. Um, and then honestly, in my head, it still sticks as a current day picture of what kidnapping is there. Right. I'm sure it is. I, I got to imagine. Right. So, um, this movie's amazing cause it does a great job of interweaving. It's about kidnapping, but it interweaves other social and cultural issues in Brazil as well. So, it, there's like a um, there's this frog farm outside of the city that launders money for a dirty politician. There's um, they talk with so they're interviewing that guy that runs the frog farm and uncovering the story about this politician. They're talking to cops that work on kidnapping squads. They're talking to. Um, to people that have been kidnapped before, but they're also talking to people, which is super fascinating to me, that are working, like I said, the, the industry that is evolved around kidnapping. So they're talking to plastic surgeons that are working on criminals that are on the lam. They're talking to guys who specialize in bulletproofing cars and teaching evasive, like, driving techniques. Right. It's crazy. Um, so there's this whole, like, you know, it's this whole story that's happening. And this movie, if you look it up, it does fall under some scrutiny and does get some bad reviews because there are some, um, sensationalized portions of it. So it's almost like a, it's kind of like a Mondo Kane kind of vibe to it sometimes where it is like, there are some things that are obviously staged and acted out for the camera, but they're done so, they're so obvious that you, it's not trying to portray something. It's more like dramatic reenactments. Yeah, I mean, yeah, that's exactly right. So it, it, that's, like, you know that this isn't real. It's more, it, because it visually, it's extremely, it's it, it's super intense and it's super pleasing visually. So he had to do, like, going in with the style that they had, they had to do something to create these amazing visuals. So... Um, so yeah, Manda Bala, send me a bullet, 2007. Sounds awesome. Kidnapping All right. Duck. One zero. Yes. All right. So my, I think I've actually talked to you about this one before. So this will be, it'll, it'll be key here to see if you actually took my recommendation <laughs> to and listened to it. So the, uh, first movie that I, uh, brought to the table here is a movie called Vengeance by Johnny Toe. Can't say no. One one. I did not listen to you whatsoever. So this is a movie. It almost feels like a second or third wave um, Hong Kong action film. It's set in Macau, which is a, another island, um, obviously separate from Hong Kong, um, and uh, it has this a French actor named Johnny Halliday, which is I've watched a couple of Johnny Toe's films, and this is the first time he's had like a, a foreign or at least what I've seen, have had a foreigner come in and play a major part. So this, what happens is um, there's a family living in Macau. The husband of the family uh, falls, you know, screws over some triad guys for money. The whole family is murdered. And uh, what happens is this guy who's, this French guy, uh, who it was his daughter and his grandkids who were murdered, comes to Macau and tries to track down, he, he, you know, 
because of the title, obviously, is like seeking <laughs> vengeance and justice for his murdered daughter and grandkids. Yeah, I'm remembering you telling me about this. And yeah. what's what's great about Johnny Toast films is he represents especially male relationships in ways that you just don't see in this culture. Like there's very open, sort of honest representations of male relationships, and even the guys, the gangsters who murder the family, aren't portrayed as like just evil bad guys like you would see in a Hollywood film. Like there's a a scene where when they finally track these guys down, they're having a picnic in a public park with their families. And these guys sit at a picnic table with this French guy and they just wait. No. And these guys know and recognize like that they're doing them a favor by waiting. Seriously. And um, they pack all their families into the cars and they send them on their way and then they have this showdown. It's like a really cool, whoa, super interesting scene. Um, and this... Uh, Johnny Halliday character, part of his thing, he has like a... familiar a, name. Um, I mean, yeah. He's like losing his vision, which uh, ends up playing a part in like the ultimate sort of finale. Uh, he's losing of his the vision. Film. Yeah, he's like has a degenerative eye disease or something and he's no lo- losing his vision. Halliday is the character's name? Uh, that's the actor's name. And, okay. And it's not his real name, it's his screen name. So he's... Okay. he's I don't know that much about this guy. Like yeah, He yeah. might be a prominent French actor. Um, yeah, but, uh, anyways, yeah, um, if you are a fan of Hong Kong action films, oh. I would say it's like half Wong Kar Wai, half John Woo. It feels like this really oh. hybrid sort of style between the two. It's really, really awesome. Fucking hell yeah. Jesus, that sounds killer. All right. So one, 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 what one. You, what's, what's your second? All right. I'm coming in next with, uh, another documentary. Um, and this is the last doc on the list. Um, Darwin's Nightmare, um, 2004, uh, French film, and I should say that these films I have ready and waiting for you, too. Okay. So, they're, <laughs> like, I got, uh, either files of them or DVDs, so they're ready. They're ready when you are. Um, and this one I picked because, honestly, I know you love documentaries, and this is one of the most perfect documentaries in my book ever made. And it's not made by, um, I actually don't remember the director's name. Somebody, hopefully listening, will get pissed, um, because I should, and I should have it written down. Um, but he's not a, um, he's not like a Errol Morris sticking out in your head as like the doc guy, you know what I mean? It's not the Maisel's Brothers here or something. But, um, this documentary I'll put up against anything. So, Darwin's Nightmare is, um... Uh, again, in the same in the same sort of um, thread, it's a, it's another documentary that weaves together um, other. It's about one particular topic, but it it pulls in a bunch of other cultural and societal problems. Um, and this one in particular is on the shores of Lake Victoria in Tanzania. So um, this is a story that is equally. Equal parts, um, a story about ecology and invasive species, as it is drug trafficking and, uh, sorry, gun trafficking and, like, kind of the ruinization, the continued ruinization of, of Africa. So, hmm. um, uh, Lake Victoria, the biggest lake in Africa, um, it's in Tanzania, and, um, in the 1950s, the Nile perch was introduced to, it's like 200, it's, it's 26,000 square miles, this lake. It's enormous. 
on the oldest continent, the continent that we know life it was came from. Right. Right. Um, it's enormous. And in the 50s, it, you know, looking to everything is going to be bigger, everything is going to be better, they introduced the perch to this lake. The Nile perch, can, like, starts on its, like, trail of havoc and wipes out 350 different species of fish and aqua life in this lake. The, the loss to science is untold. Who knows what happens? So here we are present day, um, you know, 50 plus years later, and the perch has completely taken over. And um, what has happened is it's, it's basically created this, as it was intended at the time, to um, create this enormous fishing industry along the shores of Lake Victoria. So how the how the commerce relationship started who knows it's but um the perch from lake victoria has become the biggest source of white flaky fish for the eastern bloc so huh. these enormous cargo planes from russia are landing in tanzania empty and leaving with tons and tons of nile perch flying back with it and it's going into every shitty, like, fucking sauce-covered dish in the Eastern block of, like, fish with, you know what I mean? Whatever, like, crappy. Right. It's just going everywhere. It's probably the cheapest source of fish they can get anywhere near. Well, that's it, right? Yeah. I mean, it's just, like, yeah, we're here, we're, we need fish. Here's, oh, somebody made a connection. Let's start getting this fish in. So the story um, gen- geniusly unfolds as... You're, you're amazed by this, like, you know, ecological disaster. But then the filmmakers go deeper, and they're like... And it starts with, like... So this industry kind of evolves around the Russian pilots, the Russian and Ukrainian pilots that are flying in. And this industry, this kind of micro, like, economy, builds around them, as will happen, where there's bars and prostitutes, and that results in some harrowing scenes, like, gnarly shit between these pilots that are wasted and prostitutes, like, the footage is amazing. So, th- the filmmakers start to dig deeper, and they're like, wait, are these planes just landing, they're, they're flying all the way here, the empty? Probably not. So, they start looking, and as it turns out, no, of course they're not coming empty. They're bringing guns into this war-torn continent, and basically, they pack up with a bunch of armory and weaponry in Russia, in the Ukraine. They fly it down to Africa, unload, sell, load up with fish, and fly back. So what you've got in this film is a bunch of footage of people, footage, coverage, interviews of people along the shores of Lake Victoria that are starving in Tanzania. They're starving. And they're working in these fish camps that are just pulling out these perch that are enormous. I mean, I'm like six, seven feet long, a fucking perch. Holy cow. Huge. So they just load up these little boats and they're just pulling fish out of this fucking fish factory, basically, is what Lake Lake Victoria is. And they skin them, fillet them, get them ready to ship out. So you're seeing like, and they just, oh God, I can't even tell you, the footage is just... It's 
so brutal, you know, because these people are starving, but they can't eat the fish, so they're, like, eating the skeletons in the skin, because you have to ship the flesh. And then there's this other story of guns being sent to the place that needs the, to the people that need them the least in the entire world. Right. It's heartbreaking, um, but super, super important. And the thing that kills you, it, and there's this incredible parallel that's drawn the the Nile perch wipes out every fish in that lake, right? There's nothing left, so the fish starts to the perch feeds on itself, so it's it becomes cannibalistic. And he, the filmmaker, draws this incredible parallel between the cannibalism of fish and the way that humans treat each other, and the, the way that we feed off of each other. It's chilling. Hmm. Per, it's it's a perfect documentary. It's amazing. Wow. Yeah, it, it sounds really great. Not easy to watch, but yeah. it's required viewing. Honestly, required viewing. Cool. We'll definitely check it out. Yep. All right. Two, one. All right. So here's where we go. Uh, I went with something a little more common. I would give, Ooh, that put, sounds good. Put this one at 50-50. Ooh. That you've seen this or not. Um, Raising Victor Vargas. Fuck. I know. I can't say I've seen oh, it. Oh, all right. Shit. This is probably my shot, too. Two, two. All right, Raising Victor Vargas is an independent film. I want to say it came out probably somewhere between eight and ten years ago at this point. It's about a young um, kind of Latin boy living in New York City in sort of one of those kind of high-rise um, kind of government-sponsored living sort of things on, yeah. the, on the Lower East Side. Uh, it stars uh, Victor Rusick. I think it was his first role. He was really young. He went on to be in uh, the short, very short-lived HBO series How to Make It in America. Oh, yeah. About he and this other guy who were running this streetwear brand. And, yeah, yeah. Um, I think he's been in some other films or some other stuff. I think he actually might have been in the... In fact, I think he was. Maybe he played Tony Alva in the uh, movieization of uh, Dogtown and Z-Boys. Oh, yeah. Um, I, I, think he, I think he was in that. Really? Strangely. Uh, maybe not. Anyways, this is a great film. It's really about this boy who's grown up in this sort of macho male culture, and he's this player. He's, like, on the sly, sleeping with this sort of obese girl that's his age in um, that lives, like, one floor above him, but he doesn't want anyone to know because he thinks it would ruin his player rep. And he's sort of, you know, this kind of... He's been raised in this culture to be a player, but he meets this girl in the neighborhood who... It's sort of one of those stories, like the... How old is he? The... I want to say he's, like, 14, 15. Okay, so, yeah, all right. He's, he's very young. Yeah. Comes from, like, a traditional, probably Puerto Rican family. Right. Um, and he meets this girl in the neighborhood who's very guarded because of where she lives and the male culture around her and constantly being hit on. She's exactly wary of the sort of person that he is. And he just, like, falls for this girl and has to... It's it's one of those sort of the player falls in love and changes his way sort of movie that we've, you know, seen before. However... He's 14! But they like, really fall in love. It, it yeah. plays out in this, like, such an honest, authentic way with these kids, and it's there's interesting mirroring going on with um, their friends who are having unprotected sex and some other stuff like that. About Just about, like, the dangers of romantic love at that age, where uh, you have 
one foot in adolescence and one foot in adulthood and what's going to happen and how is this going to turn out and how does this shape the person that you become. Um, really well acted, really well done, really well written. It was just, uh, I didn't know anything about it going in. Um, I think we uh, rent, maybe got it from Netflix. It went back when Netflix still shipped DVDs. I think we got, okay. got yeah. the DVD and watched it. Um, and uh, we absolutely loved it. So how was the casting? Because those movies, I, I think, are like movies with people that age are so hinged on good casting, right? Absolutely. Um, I think all the kids were pretty impeccably cast. Uh, you know, they must have been cast young actors, probably first-time actors from those neighborhoods or from New which York. Which is awesome, yeah. Which is right. Lends That's the only way lends you can the do authenticity. It. That's the only way you can do it. You can't teach a kid yeah. to be yeah from there. It, it it felt in in the same way like when you watch Larry Clark's kids, you're like, oh, all these kids like know this scene. It feels like these they feel both authentically teen, but they're also decent actors at the same time. It's not like you know when you watch a movie and they've got some thirty year old guy pretending to be eighteen or <laughs> totally, whatever. Yeah, and they just like yeah frost the tips of his hair or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Not not like that. So yeah, Raising Victor Vargas. It's, it's a drama. Um, I think it clocks in at under two hours. It's short. It's sweet. But um, the both the performances by uh, Victor Rasek and the woman who plays the female lead that he kind of falls falls for. Um, really really well done. Really oh man, that's right in my alley. I love that like coming of age first love. Stuff is movies about it are so fascinating to me because it, you just imagine like what it's like to make that thing, you know, and being on set with like kids like that. Like, nice, Frost. All right, well, that's all a right. Big one. Two, 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 two. All right, here we come with um, I got some heavy, heavy hitters coming here. The next three are <laughs> awesome, these are good. Okay, so uh, my next is Brute Force, um, 1947, Jules Desan, um. It's this is an American movie. Um, this I picked flat out for your love of crime. Um, you love crime stories, yes, absolutely. Um, so this is Jules Desans. This is his first crime movie. Um, for those who don't know, um, he was he went on to direct some of the greatest crime films of all time. Like he directed Rafifi, Thieves Highway, Naked City. This guy was amazing. Um, so this was 1947. He made um, he made Brute Force. 1948, he would become blacklisted. Um, Daryl Zanuck dragged him into the office. You're blacklisted. Fuck you. I'm moving to France. He goes to France and starts making crime movies there where nobody's going to give him... Right. So, you know, nobody's going to give him a hard time. So this... Um, he, he's, you know, just... Um, He's from Connecticut, you know what I mean? And, like, started making movies and didn't have a huge love for the country. Um, he was Jewish in a time where it was, you know, this is right after, this is a time um, where it was, you know, I mean, this is right in between the end of the war and the beginning of McCarthyism. Mm -hmm. So it was a time where... Um, <laughs> things were the the ideological sort of um, spectrum. You either were left or you were right, right. You, so um, in this movie's left, it's way left. So um, brute force is it's a prison film, um, 
Burt Lancaster is uh, here in, in his second film. Um, his first film was The Killing, um, which um, was amazing yeah. as well. Yeah. Right, and that The Killing um, that was a uh, Hemingway adaptation. Right, right. The the horse track. Yep, I've uh, seen that. Robbery. It's really good. Yeah, it's really good, right? Yeah, it's it is. really it's a great adaptation. And actually, isn't it funny now? Because um, I've got another adaptation on my list as well. And after our um, our uh, last episode, like yeah. you know, speaking, it's funny that they just keep popping up. But anyway, um, so Burt Lancaster, and it, it's almost it, it this kind of defined, I think. Some films moving forward, it, it cre- it started to create a model or sort of uh, an outline that that became. It was so effective, people started to follow this moving forward. So Burt Lancaster is the hero, you know, anti-hero. He's um, the inmate. He's got his crew of inmates, you know, that kind of live in the cell with him, um, and they live under this tyrannical. Sort of um, like he's basically he's he's a clear sort of interpretation of a Nazi because he like listens to Wagner, loves Wagner, is drunk all the time. Like he, and they live underneath this guy who's just like you know he's the worst. He, and and I think it's easy to um, I think a, a modern audience might look at this film and and think. This is pretty like these characters and the are are pretty like clear cut and they're you know it's like oh yeah poor Burt Lancaster poor prisoners super mean prison screw like oh it's like it, it's they seem like there there isn't a lot of depth in these characters mm-hmm. but I think when you take into account like when it was made. And also, like, everything else, like the photography, when they're inside the cell, like, this film is amazing. Like, it's really, really great. Um, it's It's got this feel to it that, like, it's shot in black and white, but it feels, the, the photographer, I, I don't remember who it was, um, it was, um, William Daniels, it actually, was, was the was the photographer. He was the DP and he went on to shoot a few other, um, a few other famous noir movies. Um, and actually he probably head to that time too. Um, and also the score is, is amazing too. It, it was, um, I don't remember the guy's name, um, but a, a guy who kind of like cut his teeth in noir and continued to like define noir. So there's lots of things about this movie that are super important um, it, you know, in the genre and in film history, it's just, it's a, you gotta see it. Brute Force, 1947, Burt Lancaster. Cool. All right. I have not seen it. So three, two. Yes. Uh, so my third pick, I picked this because it's, I'm always trying to get more people to watch this movie because it was, I think it's such a great movie and by all means should have gotten more. Um, critical and commercial success than it did. Uh, and I think the guy who's the lead uh, deserves much more credit um, and as an actor and should be like a key leading man and for some reason he's never gotten his due. Uh, the film is Welcome to Collinwood starring Sam Rockwell. I've seen this movie. This is a remake of 
Um, I'm, this is a remake of another... This is a heist film, right? It's a comedy heist. Yeah, 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 yeah. This is a remake of another film. I love this movie. Yes, I did. I might win this thing. I love this movie. George Clooney's yes, in it? Yes, George Clooney. Yes, I, I love I this movie. Maybe George Clooney actually had something... He either produced it or he maybe did. directed it. He, he at least produced it, yeah. So it also stars William H. Macy, Patricia Clarkson, Louise Guzman, Isaiah Washington... And there's a character actor named Michael Jeter, who, when I, when I saw him, whenever I see him, I'm like, I've seen that guy in lots of stuff before. He's one of those faces, you know, he's a journeyman character actor. He actually died shortly after this film, so this was his last film. So what it is, is uh, Luis Guzman is in jail. He gets word. He has, and he's so good, right? He has this, so this sort of ultimate score. And he can't get out in time to... Do it so he tries to pull in, uh, I believe Sam Rockwell, who's like he has some sort of relationship. He's gonna hand Sam Rockwell this job so that he can get this easy score. Um, and he gets he's trying to get most of the, most of the money for bring it to them. He's trying to screw them somehow. So they decide right. that they're gonna cut him out and just go do it themselves. So, anyways. This it's there's something about the tone of this film that's just so unique. Like you don't really see comedy capers. Like it feels like a almost like a golden age of Hollywood. There's like a lot of slapstick sort of almost humor. There's a lot of sort of um, not like sight gag humor, but there's a lot of kind of visual humor. It's a lot of like comedy of errors sort of stuff. Oh, for sure. Um, yeah. And and, do they do? Is there's a scene in the original that is. When they do the actual, like, break-in, where there's no dialogue for, like, 15 minutes or something. Not, I mean, I don't know if it's that long, but where they're supposed to be silent for a long time. Is that? Am I yeah. thinking of the same movie? But I, the, but they fuck it up every time or something? That, that might be an homage to Rafifi, because it's Rafifi oh, that they do Rafifi, that. Well, it's not... That, I think that might... I'm confusing the two. Rafifi is the one that has the big, long... Yeah. Yeah, strike and, that. Because this is not... And you Rafifi. know, you know what happened with Rafifi when it aired in theaters. Oh my God! Yeah, I forgot about that. The next day, the next night, a whole bunch of people went out and replicated the method that they use in Rafifi oh. to break into. No, and and you're, actually, you're shitting me. Yeah. So they for a while they had Shut to the pull, they had to pull the that. film until they could change um, the alarm systems in the safe. Shut the because fuck up. Rafifi was so impeccably researched. That it was actually a how, basically a how-to. Oh my god, I never knew that. That is, it's so good. Yeah. Holy shit. Alright, so, I struck out here with Welcome to Hollywood. <laughs> well, so, I don't know that you necessarily I mean, it's struck a, out. It's a great it's film. It's fucking amazing. Um, in, um, the fact that I'm not remembering, it's an Italian film, um, and I'm probably, uh, uh, to be honest with you, I'm, I'm gonna Google it in a minute when we switch back, because... Ah, fuck it, no, I won't. But it, it's it's a it's so good. Um, and r- remakes obviously are you know subject to. It makes sense. It it, ha- it has this like very throwback feel, innocent right? throwback sort yeah. of sense of humor to it. That it makes sense that it was a, a remake. Of, Somebody's of missing else. an arm or missing a or is deaf? Isn't somebody? Yeah, I, I think and, and somebody's a cuckold too. Isn't somebody? Yeah. Somebody's like. Somebody is, like, cheating on another's... Like, I, I think the William H. Macy <laughs> character, like, Patricia Clarkson... He's the cuckold, like, yeah. yeah. 
And the Michael Jeter character is like deaf, deaf or almost blind or something like that. It's yeah. so good. That I I love that you picked that because it's such an oddball. Nobody nobody has seen that movie. Yeah, right. It's great. And Sam Rockwell, I I think. Oh my god. A completely underrated actor. Way he, way he, underrated. He does amazing stuff. Moon. He's amazing in Moon. He's incredible in Moon. And How about like, Box of Moonlight? I don't think I've seen that. Um, with um John. John Turturro, and he, it's Sam Rockwell and John Turturro, and it is the most, it's the weirdest setup. It's like, it's, Sam Rockwell is this hillbilly, like, out in West Virginia somewhere, and John Turturro plays this project manager for this new construction that's happening right next door to where Sam Rockwell lives, but Sam Rockwell's, like, in a holler, and this new huge building is happening, and, and John Turturro's super uptight, and it's, it's surreal, it's yeah. Anyway, Sam Rockwell, I'm a huge fan. He he, play, he actually just not that long ago was in this great um, sort of um, like kind of Ozark crime thing. Um, Christ, I don't remember the name of it. But anyway, let's not let's not go too far off the path here. Sam right. Rockwell, welcome to Collingwood. Yep, fucking great. All right, three three two. Let's see if we can. Fucking, yes. Maintain your lead here. All right, let's see if we can. And I swear to God, I was not trying to get obscure here. Um, and this um, is not an obscure film, um, but uh, The Music Room, 1958, Indian film, Satyajit Ray, Satyajit Rai, Ray. It's spelled R-A-Y. I believe it's pronounced Rai. You'd think I'd know. Um, so I, I picked this film because you lived in India, you love the culture, you love the country. Um, so anyway, Satyajit Rai is considered um, the crown jewel of Indian filmmaking, independent Indian filmmaking. He um, basically defined parallel cinema, which was a an Indian filmmaking movement based off of the French New Wave, in the Italian New Wave, and it's called Parallel because it was an alternative to Bollywood. Mm. So it's basically Parallel Cinema. You can think it, the easy way to think of it is it was the beginning of um, Indian independent cinema. Mm. So Satyajit Rai, um, the the sort of his foothold in independent cinema was the Apu trilogy. Um, which he made right before this film. So this film was 1958. He made two films before this in the Apu trilogy, and um, they did not do well. They they were not received well. They didn't do well in the box office. He took a break um, and made this film, The Music Room. So The Music Room is um, this. It's set in the late 20s. Um, It's a landlord that lives on um, this devolving... He, he lives in this um, it, huge... It's not a... I don't want to say palace, but he lives in this enormous, like, really wealthy house. So it's set in the late 20s. Um, he's the heir of this enormous estate that flourished in the 19th century in Bengali. And, um, and he inherited this estate where there's tons of, basically, um, sharecropping. So... There's tons of farmers that live on the estate, and he owns all. You know, his family owned all the land. Everybody's farming, paying up to the man, to the landlord. So, um, it, you know, 
flourished in the in the 19th century. It's now the late 1920s, and people are starting to flee because, I, you know, to be honest, I don't know why. They're moving to the city. I don't know. But he's on the downward slope of this thing. So um, I'll miss I'll mispronounce this guy's name, but it's Biswambar Roy is um, is the character's name, and, and he's commonly referred to as just Roy is the character's name, and he spends his days now when we see him present time being the late nineteen twenties, um, remembering back to the golden days of the private concerts that he had in his home held in the music room. So during the late nineteenth. Actually, probably through... I'm no fucking expert here, so don't claim to be. But kind of through at least the late 19th century and into the early 20th century, um, classical Indian music musicians made their living very much based on private concerts by wealthy... Like a patronage system. It's a patronage. Yeah, they live off of patrons. So they would go... They'd get paid enormous sums and they would show up to these concerts in these big private homes where there are 40 people in attendance. You know what I mean? So this is how, like, the greatest musicians in India are getting paid. So, um... (laughs) So the movie is... It's... So stunning in so many ways. Um, it opens with one of, like, it's a pretty famous scene. The opening scene of this movie opens with him sitting on um, the patio. Um, it's this super uncomfortable shot of him. Um, I don't know the actor's name. He's a famous Indian actor. Um, and it sits on him for so long that you're like, what the... Like, it sits and then it sits... And you're like, oh my god! But the actor is so—he's he, classically trained, and um, he unfolds so slowly in this opening shot. And you see his face start to come to life after. I swear to God, it feels like three minutes, but it's not that. I'm sure it's not that long, but it feels so long. And he like is kind of like half asleep, half awake, and he like comes into some consciousness, and he asks his servant. What month is it? And it's like, it gives you a picture of like, this guy's completely removed from any sort of reality. So he's living in the past. The movie is based on, um, it's built around musical performances. It's kind of what makes this movie stand out. Um, They utilize some of the most famous classical Indian musicians um, that were still alive at the time. And... Um, the movie, uh, the first two performances, these, these performances are about 10 minutes long a piece. So, you know, you're seeing an entire, anybody that knows Indian classical music, Rajas, they, they are built much differently than Western music. They are long. They're right. eight, 10 minutes long. Yep. You're seeing the whole thing, the whole thing. So what's amazing about this film is that it's shot in the interior of, of, Roy's music room. Um, the first one, the first performance is this woman that, uh, this woman singer, um, it's his son's coming of age party. She's singing. It's the entire, so they shoot the entire thing. It's just, and um, the photographer that he uses ended up being like his favorite photographer for most of his films. The first film that he shot with him was when he was 
22 years old. I, I, don't, I don't remember the guy's name, but it was a, he'd never picked up a camera before. And he shot the first film of this Apu trilogy. And then he just stuck with him. The guy was just a natural, a genius. So he shoots these super long performances, but they're so intimate. And you're seeing the people that are watching them. And it's... I can't overstate how mesmerizing these these scenes are. So the first performance happens, and then the second one, they build this enormous... It's not a boring movie. Like, it's not just this guy remembering back to, like, these great performances. Like, something very dramatic happens to him in the second performance. This huge life event happens that I won't won't reveal here, but... um, then after that second performance, it comes to modern times, being late 20s, mm-hmm. where he's trying to keep up with the Joneses. His next-door neighbor is a lower caste than him, and it comes in to invite him to a concert. He knows he's about to invite him to a home concert the next night. He's out of money. Roy is out of money. And he's like, before he can even get invited to it, he's like, well, I'm having one tonight. Actually, I'm having one tomorrow night. So... He has his servant, um, Hawk, the last family jewel, and hire the person that was about to play at his neighbor's party, just so he... It's the only thing he cares about, is, right. the, is are these concerts in his music room. Um, it's... I, I don't know. It's hard to explain. I saw this movie not... This was my introduction to Sai Jit Rai, and um, I watched it with no knowledge of anything, and I was... Absolutely blown away. It's one of the most amazing films I've ever seen. The it was my, and it made me a fan of classical Indian music. It's not to be missed. Another one required viewing. Cool. All right. Well, four or two. Yes. So this next one uh, is all, was also a risk, but I really wanted to talk about it because I would love everyone to see it. I know it shares a common theme that you and I both love, which is punk rock. Yes. Uh, however, it takes it way across the pond to Sweden, and the movie is We Are the Best. Oh, I haven't seen that okay. yet. Okay. Yeah, right. I haven't <laughs> seen that yet. So, nice. Uh, for those that haven't seen it, it's an independent film about two young girls in 1980s Sweden, and what uh, who are kind of like a couple of the only punk rock kids in their high school. There's an opening scene where they're like trying to do a school project with these two like popular straight laced like preppy girls and like it's just this like clash of cultures in this really interesting but innocent way um and they spend all their time at the local community center and they realize that at the community center they basically have a guitar uh they don't have a a guitar they have a bass and drums that they can use so they basically decide to form a punk band a little later in the movie, they pull in this other girl who's, like, a Christian girl that plays, like, um, Christian music at, on guitar at <laughs> the um, talent show at their school. Uh, and they get her to come play guitar. And she's, like, the only one who can really play an instrument, but she helps sort of, like, mentor them on how to actually play. It is this, sorry, to interrupt. It's Brit, is this British? Swedish. So, sorry, Swedish. Okay, so go it's, ahead. It's all in Swedish, so a foreign language film. Yeah. Uh, it's, and it's basically the story of these three girls. And it's, obviously, it's mainly about, they. so they listen to punk rock music. And it's amazing to me how similar punk rock music in Sweden 
in the 80s sounded to the punk rock music that we listened to in the States. No shit. So they're listening to Swedish punk rock. Swedish punk rock. In, in the 80s. In the 80s. And it sounds exactly like the Germs and, you know, Youth Brigade and all the kind of no stuff that we're shit. listening to. They have, like, all of their own... 80s punk bands that they reference, and you get to hear that, and I'm sure there's Fucking a soundtrack. Yeah, yeah, right? Yeah. Um, and it, at the end of the day, it's not one of those movies like a Jack Black movie where they go from, like, they can't play their instruments to, oh my god, they're amazing. It's totally not about that. It's much more realistic. It's much more about these three girls sort of bonding and becoming, like, the sort of organic development of their friendship around around oh, the band is, is what the story is more is more about as opposed to them like turning into you know an amazing band who blows everyone away and they can't believe how well they can play their instruments so uh, I would recommend this for anyone we are the best if you are uh, a fan of independent film and especially if you're a fan of punk rock you will absolutely love this film fucking hey I'm so glad you meant, reminded me of that one we got we got to swap uh, lists after, right? Yeah, because we gotta because we should. I mean, not that we'll probably recount it here on the podcast, but I'd love to talk to you, like you know. Yeah, let's watch these and for sure and report back. All right, so uh, my last one. Um, I've got Island of Lost Souls, nineteen thirty-two. It's the adaptation of. Um, the Island of Doctor Mor- the the um, yeah the Island of Doctor Mor- Moreau the yep. H.G. Wells I haven't seen it yes. five for five winner <laughs> um, whatever winner so um, <laughs> your big winner <laughs> did you win yeah free fucking haircut so um, so this was the first adaptation of the Island of Doctor Moreau so. This is 1932, directed by this guy, Eric something, I I don't know the guy, he's, I don't think, um, uh, apologies to Eric's family, I don't think he's a noteworthy director, I don't remember, but this, um, this movie came out in 1932, so it's pre-code horror, American horror film, um, and in a time when pre-code horror was ruled by Universal, where you've got... Um, Bela Lugosi is Dracula, Boris Karloff is Frankenstein, like, Universal basically, like, started this campaign of horror films, um, in the early 1930s, and they just owned it until, and they owned it through, you know, Code started basically in 1934, they owned it right through there, um, but there were other amazing films that happened in the early 30s that were super creepy, because... Like, people, it was, you know, I mean, film is, at this age, it's like 30 years old, you know? Right. I mean, there's not a lot, like, the, the it's not a well-developed medium. Like, it's, shit's not sorted. So, it's kind of the Wild West, you know, which makes it super shitty at times, but makes it fucking amazing at other times, because mm-hmm. people are, are just doing stuff because they're just doing it, and they're trying to tell a story, so... I won't go into the plot because we know the plot of The Island of Dr. Moreau, right? But um, what you've got here is Charles Lawton, um, who plays Dr. Moreau. All right, really quick. The the plot is basically this doctor, um, this crazy biological um, sort of genetic specialist is on an island. Somebody is on a cruise. He gets lost. Him and his fiance get lost. 
they end up on this uncharted desert isle with um, Doctor Moreau. Yeah. Right. Um, it's sort of like a modern day. You know, like, it's funny because this film probably has more relevance now in the age of GMOs and gene splicing and all that kind of stuff. Than oh, it for sure. Then. For sure. Yeah, absolutely. Because basically, what he's doing is he's playing with genetics and he's crossbreeding animals with humans, and there's a lot of um, dicey shit that's going on. Like, it's it, it, there's like. You know, I, I to be honest, I haven't read the I haven't read the book. Um, H. G. Wells wrote it. He fucking hated the movie, hated it. So H. G. Wells is a Brit. Um, this film was released in what I say thirty two. Um, it was banned in Britain from nineteen thirty two to nineteen fifty eight. Wasn't allowed in the in the country. And even then, in nineteen fifty eight, it was X rated. And he was he was H. G. Wells was as happy as could be because. He hated this adaptation because it was pretty gruesome. There's, like, vivisection. There's, like, cutting these, like, beings open. So it's crossbreeding animals with humans. There's there's shit going on that's gnarly. But the thing that is amazing is Charles Lawton brings this, like, he creates this character that is super... He's not crazy is what's awesome about it. Is in Charles Lawton, if for anybody that's never seen him, he's portly. He's kind of like very contemplative. He's slow moving, and um, he's kind of perfect for this role. And it, with this role was repeated later by actually Burt Lancaster in 1977, and then Marlon Brando actually with Val Kilmer. They made in 1996. Right. Did and it was titled The Island of Doctor Moreau, panned by critics. People hated that fucking movie. I actually, oh, yeah. I actually kind of like it. <laughs> um, I mean, it's not acting. It's Marlon Brando. It's not acting. It's it's just Brando being Brando, basically doing Heart of Darkness, but in a different right. a different book. Um, anyway, um, there's uh, there's a lot to love about this movie. There's the f- uh, the last thing I'll say about it. Um, are these? There's such a there's a great connection between. Th- Dr. Moreau, Charles Lawton's character, in his, like, creations, his animals, his beings. So, Bela Lugosi's actually in this film, and he plays the lead, like, animal. And you would never fucking know that it was him. Never fucking know. He's just, like, so made over. Um, and this was in the heart, the heart of his... I don't know how he got out of the contract, or... Like, was it, yeah, like, I don't know how Universal didn't have him tied up but who knows? Before contracts were as terrible as they are now, but right. um, like Lugosi's playing this like the one of the animal hybrids, and Charles Lawton's character is trying to connect with it. And there's a super heartfelt scene where where they're talking to him, and they're like, "Are we not men? Are we not men?" Which lends itself to a fucking great right record, the Devo record. Yeah. Are we not men? Right. And there's a ton of, like, modern, like, there's a ton of stuff that came out of this movie, and um, the Criterion just did um, an incredible uh, release of this movie. I, I don't know if it was on Blu-ray. I think it may have just been DVD, but the pack, everything was fucking amazing about it. Um, Island of Lost Souls. So killer. Cool. I'll definitely have to check that out. Alright, so for my last pick, I picked... A little bit of a cult film. Maybe you've heard it, maybe not. 
Star Wars Episode Five: <laughs> The Empire Strikes Back. Yes. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. No, uh, <laughs> uh, a documentary series. Uh, I believe it was done by the History Channel. You can stream it for free on Netflix. I checked into this because of the nature of the sub the subject, which was uh, it's called Inside the American Mob. I had very low expectations going in. And I was completely blown away. Not the most like aesthetically like Errol Morris. You know, would look at this thing and shudder. However, the the people that they got to appear in this documentary, they got one of the star guys is the detective who actually was Donnie Brasco, who infiltrated yeah. the mob. Right, right. They had the sons of guys. They had the son of this, like, uh, who was at one point the head of this major crime family who was referred to as, like, the Polo Don, because he brought in these, like, modern schemes. He had this gas station tax evasion thing that net was netting, like, at one point, $6 million a week for the mob oh. on the East Coast. And it was like, this guy was just, like, driving Ferraris, and he was, like, the first new-age sort of uh, American criminal. But what's amazing about this thing is it chronicles from the late 40s and early 50s when the mob is basically untouchable. They own the police, they own the politicians, they own everyone, up until the modern uh, transition from, you know, racketeering, gambling, to sanitation, construction, and all mm-hmm. those sorts of things that they had to do, all the different things that they, as they evolve to kind of keep deal with the with Rico. And, yeah, deal with Rico, yeah. post-prohibition, all that kind of stuff. And it also chronicles and I had no idea, Rudy Giuliani, the reason he became mayor of New York was because he brought down, uh, almost single-handedly, like, a couple of the families. His, he made his career prosecuting, uh, the modern mafia. And it's, this is, I think it's a six-part series, each, each uh, episode is about an hour, chronicles different parts, uh, eventually, there's so much stuff, and when you think like you couldn't see anymore, then they start talking about Gotti, and you know God, Gotti sets up as like a nobody thug, and then when everyone gets put put in jail, there's like a power vacuum, and Gotti sort of rises to fame. So they take you from the beginning of his career, from the very beginning, early days of like uh, the '50s, all the way up through modern day, through Gotti, you know, going to jail. But they take you, but they start like at the beginning of Gotti and, and show you his build. Yeah, I mean, don't get me wrong. It's there's a, a huge parts of it that have nothing to do with him. Oh no, no, no. Yeah, yeah, yeah no. Yeah. But um, but yeah, you see him you as s- like a young guy, as yeah. like basically a henchman that everyone was afraid of because he had this rep, basically that he would kill anyone at any time. Right. You know, he was just like a mad dog, basically. That's was, right. Was the early rep he had. Then when all these really smart, sort of wise guys, no pun intended, got thrown, guys that had. <laughs> come up and really knew how to run the family and run run it like a business, you know. Yeah. Uh they all went away. And there's no there's just right. this guy who's and willing to kill anyone last man standing to seize the throne. Madman. So, yeah. Right. Um starts sorry, um what like mid forties? Yeah, I would say late like 40s, late forties, early fifties. And um, sort of chronicles that sort of almost like untouchable period of like when gotcha. they just own the system, and everyone was afraid of them. There's nothing you could do. How many episodes? Like uh, I think it's f- I want to say five. So Killer. it's like five. There may be an hour or fifteen a piece. So, and it's 
really good. No it's a, like a comprehensive history of the New York Mafia. That's awesome. Yeah, no, I haven't seen it. I, Which, I you know, it's called the American that. Mob. It, it obviously focuses on New York, but... And the East Coast. Sure. And yeah. after, it basically, for anyone who's a fan of Boardwalk Empire, basically goes from where Boardwalk Empire leaves off, where you have Lucky Luciano basically establishing a nationwide network. Crime syndicate. And crime syndicate. It goes from there forward. Perfect. Yeah, so right, if you've right. seen Boardwalk Empire and you're a fan, this will fill you in on the rest of the history of the mob. Nice. Oh, I haven't seen it at all. And yeah. it's all on Netflix. It's all on Netflix. Uh, I should mention We Are the Best, which was the Swedish punk rock film I was talking about, also streaming on Netflix. I watched it on demand, and then like two oh, weeks sweet. later it came out on Netflix. So. Okay. Killer. All right. So that's it Boom. for this week. Our first stump episode is in the book. That was fun. That was a good one. Jason Santos, the winner. At 5 to 4. Yahtzee! So, that's it for this week. Thanks for listening to Good Looking Out, a podcast about what to eat, watch, read, and listen to, because life is too short to waste time and money on bad shit. See you next time, time, everybody. That was a good one. Thanks.